Welcome to another Jabronis Only. On this show we talk about Season 3, Episodes 12 and 13, The Gang Gets Whacked. It's a good idea to go and watch those episodes before you listen to the show, because otherwise it's a spoiler fest. But if you don't want to do that, you're still welcome along for the ride. It's also worth noting in this show we do refer to Tom's baby shower. Great news is in between recording this show and editing it, it's taken quite a while because, you know, life... Um, but Tom's had the, his baby, so we welcome Cooper into the world, and we'll talk about Cooper uh, in future shows. But in the meantime, enjoy. to show number eight i always call these episodes and not shows but i should call them shows because we're talking about episodes you're listening to your bronies only and it's show number eight and uh this is a if you've not heard us before this is a it's always sunny in philadelphia random episode podcast i'm here in uh, in bramble uh just as it's it's kind of dusk on sunday night and over there in murfield is tom coates Tom Coates, freelance journalist, baby shower, recent recipient, and big fan of deli meats. <laughs> well, as a vegetarian, Martin, I'm not a fan of deli meats. How long have you been a veggie? For about five years. I started doing it when it became really trendy. Yeah. I'm, did you know I'm a vegetarian as well? Yeah, I knew you were a vegetarian. Yeah, I've, I think this is my third year, I think. Yeah, I remember you, you mentioning it. Yeah. yeah. Are you doing it because it you seem, makes you seem cool? Same yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely hate vegetarian food. <laughs> <laughs> but no, actually, it's really good these days, isn't it? The like the burgers, I, I still haven't found a veggie sausage that I like too much, but the mm. burgers are just sensational. Yeah, I actually had some bean burgers tonight for my tea, and they were very good. Yeah, the, the choice is, even like in the time that I've done it, the choice is getting better. And although I would say I was a fan of deli meats before I was a vegetarian. It's those kind of crazy things from the fringe of meat eating that I miss. So like uh, deli meats, pork pies, black pudding. That's what I really miss. I think the number one for me is Haribo sweets. Although you talk about things improving, the Marks and Spence like Percy Pigs and Percy Pigs related sweets are very, very good. And they're gelatin free. So... Uh, yeah, I did miss like Haribo, like Haribo Star Mix and Tantastics and all that, but the gelatin-free sweets are getting better. So, so are you trying to be a vegan as well? Um, I wouldn't say I'm trying to be one. I think I'd, I would be one if it was more convenient, which is a terrible thing to say. But like, it's yeah. at the moment, put it this way: if there was a vegan cheese in the supermarket where I shopped, I get it. But there isn't one, and I'm not. I'm too lazy to search for it. Like online, so yeah, that's the only thing. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I try. I'm, you know, have vegan days, but I really like fish. You know, I only have fish a couple of times a week, so maybe have four or five vegan days. Almost vegan. The only thing I have that's not vegan is butter. So, but oh, I have nice. days without cheese and days without milk. Just, a, just about. So, but cheese, yeah, I would really miss cheese, and I would really miss fish. Cheese is the yeah the one I. I mean, I'm not so bothered about fish. I don't eat fish at the moment. Cheese is the one I definitely miss, but. Like I say, if, uh, I've had vegan cheese before, and it's fine. 
I'm not somebody with a very refined palate, so you know, it's dead easy for me, really. <laughs> yeah, well, taste the same, surely. And uh, and how was the baby shower? It's good, it's a, a lockdown friendly baby shower, so it's, it's very weird. There's a lot of things being done at a distance. So, if anyone's listening, ready to dob me in for breaching lockdown rules, they're going to be disappointed. <laughs> so, I'm not going to give you any evidence. So, yeah, it was very strange. We've got lots of lovely presents. Um, 23rd of September is the due date. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Terrified, but excited. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, can't wait myself. Can't wait to hear. Um, but we're not here to talk about uh, your new child or deli meats or vegetarianism. We're here to talk about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia season three episodes 12 and 13 which come as a double package even if you took either of them in isolation especially the second one there's so much going on in these episodes it's absolutely incredible yeah brilliant episodes really early episodes in the context of the wider series and you get to see different parts of the characters so if you're anything like me you watch a lot of the more recent seasons I'm, i don't know whether that might just be me actually i always find myself to default to later episodes to seeing the characters as they are developed but obviously the earlier one of the great things watching the earlier seasons is you get to see them undeveloped or even taken in a slightly different direction i think these two are good examples of that one of the things about that is one of the pillars of this episode part of the foundation is that frank's refusing to pay for anything but that comes back every now and again to set up something special have you got synopses i've got the synopses shall i, shall I do them both yeah because i was thinking what to do with the episodes whether we just do one big episode one big show or we talk about them separately, I, I think we just have to do it as two shows because there is so so many things happen and so many things change in the second one. And yeah. it's brilliant because they're all related. So, so yeah, just give us the uh, the basic setup. We'll do the first one then. So the, the, the setup for the first episode, the synopsis, as per Wikipedia, is the gang finds cocaine in a pair of speakers. After they sell it, they discover it had been hidden by mobsters who want it back. To pay off the debt, they buy more drugs and try to sell them at the country club. Yeah, brilliant. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I enjoyed watching this back so much is because I'd forgotten about the country club, you know, the country club thing and the fact that, and the the, the fact the country club stuff is so good. And I've forgotten that this was where it comes in. It's so good. Yeah, it's a good, good location, a good environment for them. We, we don't get to revisit it again, I don't think. But yeah, it's a really good backdrop, especially for the first, I'm not sure if it's the first episode or the second episode. I think they do head there in the first episode, don't they? So, yeah, it's, it's a good backdrop for them. It's a good, good environment for them to bounce off. Yeah, we'll, we'll come come back to, well, maybe I'll talk about it now. Why not? It's our podcast so we can do our own rules. Um, but it is a really good place for them all to be what they've set themselves out to be in this episode. And one of the things about this episode is that they've all taken on different personas. Mm-hmm. Some of them are forced into it. But the, but and the country club kind of heightens exactly what they're trying to do in this episode. So they become something different, or they try and become something different. It's not what you would think. It's not to fit in with the country club. It's to fit in with the plan. Yeah. So they definitely. they become something completely different when they're in the country club, and it's such a great environment for for these five idiots to be in that in that country club. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what what obviously what takes them there is their desire to sell the drugs, and they arrive at the that point very quickly. I think, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we want to, to take it back a couple of scenes. Obviously, they acquire these drugs and then... Yeah, I'll just say, just I'll just say, finish the setup and it's my fault because um, I went and dived in. But it's 2.30 on a Monday and this episode was first aired in 2007. 
Matt Shackman, who's one of our favourites, has uh, directed both episodes. And the writing credit credits go to Rob Rizal and um, Scott Marder, who, yep. um, again, have done a lot of our episodes. But Glenn Houghton gets writing credit on the first one as well, but doesn't yeah. on the second, interestingly. Rosell and Marder have done a lot of stuff together, and they're mainly producers now, as we've discussed before. Both produced The Mick, which is the Caitlin Olsen sitcom, yep. which deserves a watch. Um, but interestingly, I don't know if you've seen, there's a new thing on, uh, and they've both uh, been involved with New Girl as well, which we've had a whole kind of half episode on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they've both been involved yep. in um, uh, in the new uh, cartoon that's on Netflix called Hoops. I watched the, yeah. the very first 10 minutes of Hoops. It's awful, isn't it? Some, well, something dragged me away from it before I had time to really get into it. But it's, there's a lot of swearing. and I, <laughs> I'm not somebody yeah. that's particularly offended by swearing, but... You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of South Park, but it just seemed quite jarring. And I, I, I was willing myself to like it. Cause, you know, we, we talked about um, F is for Family, and I really like yeah. F is for Family. But I, I think this might be something along the same lines. But, you know, well, I'll, I'll take your analysis of it. But as I say, I only got the first 10 minutes of it. Well, I, I watched two episodes. And the interesting thing to tie this all up is that it's Jake Johnson who is um, playing the coach and doing all the swearing. Okay. And obviously, obviously in New Girl, he's the he's the nice guy, isn't he? So yeah. he's the guy who who wouldn't swear, who who's always Mister Nice Guy. Um, but yeah, the, there are ways of doing swearing, and as you said, you know, South Park and F is for Family just get it right because it's rooted in the character. But this seems to be the other other way around. It's like, look at this guy; he's sweary, and that's his character. It's a thumbs down for hoops for, from us. Although you might give it an more of a try and come back to us. Well, not based on what you've told me. I, I will give it a try. Sophie wasn't keen on it, so that usually is curtains for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it works. As you were saying, the in terms of scenes, that we've got another cold open here because there's quite a long scene in actual fact because so much happens yeah. in these two episodes. There's a long scene where it's Mac and Dennis trying to work out how to fix the electrics, and it basically yeah. comes down to something that Mac has seen on Tango and Cash. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's how they decide to fix it. Um, I wrote it down because oh, I love that. It's, it's, there's a lot of the life lessons and a lot of their decisions they take and a lot of the observations they make are based on what they've seen in movies. And I think this is like a really early example of them doing that. It made me laugh. Yeah, definitely. But for some reason, they got it into their heads that if you're suspended in midair, you can't get electrocuted. And then Frank, <laughs> Frank says, I'll need to get some kind of harness to uh to suspend myself so just like that's a little throwaway line that's uh that's yeah. very clever that was then, uh, getting down as a quote get me the harness i got to be swinging in the air to do this <laughs> yeah and then um of course d and uh, charlie arrive with the speakers that they found on the street and lo and behold they've got cocaine inside and they uh they kind of look at the look at the cocaine and they say yeah what's the worst that could happen and then we've got uh got the titles yeah, and I think when, when when we go back, in fact, I think it's before the title. Yeah, it, it is. It's before the titles. And I mentioned earlier about how the characters aren't as developed and they are slightly different in their nature and in their reactions to various scenarios. And what I took from it was that Frank's reaction is he's the most sensible one. He's the one sort of saying, you can't sell them, you can't do this, you just got to get rid of them, you just got to get rid of them. Whereas I feel like if, if that scenario had been presented to Frank much later... He'd have probably been the craziest. He'd have probably wanted to snort it all. And then, in fact, it's Dennis is the one who wants uh, to flip the drugs, and he's the one that pushes for them to do it. And again, I think he'd be different 
on that later in the series. So I thought, I thought it was a quite interesting flashpoint that showed the stage that the characters were at at that point. Because obviously, you know, it's only Frank's second season. It was introduced in season two. So I think they're still feeling out what they want to do with him at that point. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that they they tried early on, wasn't it? Because of this, um, you know, him coming back and being their, their father and being disappointed in what they've turned out to be. Yeah. Um, he was kind of this lightning rod for morality and trying to make them better, you know, in season two, in his first season. And then, the, so there's a bit of that here, but they they are moving away from it. But as you yeah. say, in be if it was Frank from being Frank, he would have probably taken the bag of cocaine and run out the door. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a much uh, it's a much different Frank here. So no, no worse for the setup. We've got the the lines drawn as well straight away. So Dee and Charlie are together throughout the two episodes yeah. because they find the drugs, and then Frank and uh, Dennis are together and Mac Mac splits off at the end of this episode so we we kind of come to that but the battle lines are kind of drawn straight away and then we've got the first scene where <laughs> they're all talking around the subject but they're all clearly not going to do the right thing nobody is interested apart from Frank who's just trying to chip in at the end um, and they're not listening to him none of them are going to do the, the right thing yeah it's interesting isn't it and uh, it's strange that because with with Frank he is trying to do the right thing, but then obviously you get the link um, to Bingo that he's obviously already established. So you can see that they are laying the groundwork there for him to become a bit more shady. And it, obviously, <laughs> they quickly reveal that Bingo is a people smuggler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. And none of them are interested in doing the right thing. And Frank's showing hints, but. Yeah, the fact that Frank is the link to Bingo, I think is quite interesting. Graham Linehan, you know, writer of Father Ted and IT crowd and stuff, he talks about riding the bike. So you, you get a scene where somebody says, no way will I ride that bike. And then you cut to the scene of them riding a bike. And that's what happens here. So he says, do not go to Bingo. And the next thing is, of course, Charlie and Dee are stood in front of Bingo. There's, do not go to Bingo and mention my name. And then we yeah. get it's our Frank, Frank, the village of the first <laughs> Yeah. And how great is Bingo, by the way? He looks really scary. Brilliant. With a big scar over his eye as well. Yeah, so good. The first, and The first thing he says when he said, they say that Frank sent them, it's like, I'm going to skin that son of a bitch alive next time. <laughs> Bingo's a guy called Greg Wiener. Um, oh. So I'm just looking him, up, looking him up. He was in Transporter 2, not seen it, have you? And War Dogs, with that terrible film with Jonah Hill. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So, so not a great um, IMDb, but born in Philadelphia. There you go. It says on his IMDb actually, Greg is a critically acclaimed and award-winning actor. Maybe he's done a lot in the theatre. What counts is he does a really good job as Bingo here. Yeah. Um, we don't normally call out every scene, but the next one is in my top three. Mm -hmm. uh, it, chronologically, it's the the arrival of the gangsters. <laughs> and how good is that? Because it's just that playing that line between cliche of Italian Americans and gangsters. So avoiding the cliche, but keeping enough cliche to make it funny. And the essential thing is that um, Dennis and uh, Mac are absolutely terrified of them. And it just yeah. walks that line brilliantly. I think it works even better because they're obviously they're sat on the deck chairs on the pavement drinking. And then they speak to them in this, I don't know, these like sort of, mafia euphemisms 
for, for about 20 seconds. And again, skip it ahead to the, the quotes, but where, like Mac's first reaction is, oh, fellas, we're about six beers deep. <laughs> and then Jenny said, oh, I didn't really get any of that. I totally admit that the whole thing was confusing to me. One thing that's interesting to me, I was trying to think of the material that the tracksuits were made out of, and I couldn't. Is, is it velour? Is velour? I think it's velour, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure whether that was the right word to say, but the brilliant yeah. as tracksuits. Jackie's got three sisters and a brother, so there's like five of them. And they've got a famous story of her mum and dad getting seven uh, velour tracksuits one day from the market in Manchester. So they had their pictures taken, everybody in a velour tracksuit. They look comfortable. <laughs> They're certainly comfortable. And, of course, one of the other things about that, that establishes that thing, that cliché, but it's also really funny is the hand gestures, you know, yeah. the, the hand gestures that they that all of them do, as you say, talking in euphemisms and the double negatives. It's just superb, just a great way to set it up. They have a good, like, it's a good jigsaw puzzle of them as well, isn't it? Because you've got the two guys that do most of the talking at the start, and then there's the sort of silent, shady guy at the back that comes out <laughs> with a sinister plan for Saturday, or for Friday, sorry. Like, yeah, he doesn't go for euphemism at all. <laughs> no, and I think that that balance that they have is brilliant. It's all these like friend, like lovable mafiosos that are like a humorous caricature of of mafia characters in films, and then you have him that's just just cuts through all of it in a really sinister way. And that obviously sets up, you know, the the remainder of the two episodes. That's the that's the jeopardy that they face. And then, of course, the next thing is because they've decided where they're gonna they're gonna sell the cocaine because they've realised they've got to pay their mafia back, they've decided that the place to sell it is the country club. Mm-hmm. And the arrival at the country club, as I said before, this thing of them setting them up, their own characters, and how their characters will interact at the country club, is just is really, really good. You know, you get these this <laughs> from, from out of nowhere. Charlie's obsessed with horses and jockeys, so he quickly departs. It's done really well, so Dee and Dennis look the part. They could yeah. fit in visually at the country club. They could fit in. Frank, for some reason, is wearing a sailor hat, which <laughs> which makes you think of um, Caddyshack. Do you know the film Caddyshack? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when the uh, there's a scene in Caddyshack where the owner of the country club is launching his yacht, and the young kid who's the caddy uh, gets invited because he wins the caddy tournament, and he turns up dressed exactly like Frank is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. love that. I like a sailor hat. I think it's a strong look. <laughs> it is a strong look, especially if you go into a, country, a land-based country club. I wish there were more nautical elements in my day-to-day wear. Another setup here is that Charlie doesn't know the difference between a lawn jockey and a real jockey. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a lawn jockey is? I mean, when I felt, when I heard it when I was watching it this evening, I knew it was wasn't an actual jockey. But no, I don't know what a lawn jockey is. So a lawn jockey is like um, an a posh American version of a garden gnome. So, <laughs> so at the front of their houses, often they have like a sign, a house sign, and it's held up by like a 12-inch jockey or they perform some other function, but basically that's what they are. <laughs> okay. Charlie's got no idea. So, yeah, and then they all go off to do their stuff at the country club. And first thing is Dee and Mac go into the room full of the uh, the old men. And yeah. what, is, what is brilliant is that as you know, becomes a real theme throughout the, the whole of the uh, of the show, is that Dee never listens, never sticks to the brief. She or If it's something where she has to be something that's not herself, she's always yeah. got her own ideas, and so yeah. she always totally ruins it. But we know that it, it doesn't matter anyway. We know before they walk in the room that whatever Mac does will ruin it anyway. 
Yeah, I think with D as well, like because obviously the, the classic example there is when she becomes Prudence Lefebvre, Lefe- Brian. <laughs> yeah. She just sort of goes, goes, goes rogue. And yeah, that's an earlier example of it. But I love like, <laughs> like the way Mac portrays, and he's, I think he says, oh, these old-fashioned guys, they're not going to take women seriously. And then they're talking about, get me Jameson on the phone, and then like D challenges him about what they're investing in. He says technology, and then she's all oh, what kind of technology? He's all oh, lasers. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange because, like, the interaction they have with the, at first, the, those people were just sort of sat there smoking cigars. But the, the way they shoot the scene, it's to depict the fact that they are actually listening to what they're Yeah, you could see one of the old guys saying, I, I feel quite sorry for Jameson. So that's a, it's a nice little scene. Um, mm. And then you've got a fantastic scene, and I picked it as the, my favorite from. From this uh, from this episode, and it's the gigolo scene. So you got Dennis all nervous on the end of the bar, yeah. and this guy comes up, this uh, kind of Latino guy, really good looking, and convinces him that the women don't want sex; they just, you know, they just want a good time. And then it turns out that he's a he's a dishwasher that Frank has paid, and it's a God, it's so well done because the guy is so good. Yeah, Dennis, is. as you would expect, flips in like two seconds. Yeah, and because the guy plays on his vanity, and that's all you need with Dennis. And then there's just a brilliant, brilliant moment right at the end when the guy's washing the dishes. He just does that kind of like Latino, yeah, you know, yeah, street like, Mexican. Hey, Holmes, when he's washing the dishes, it's just brilliant. I love how quickly he, he flips from being the gigolo to being the dishwasher as well. He's literally, it's just a blazer over the top of what he's yeah. He's like, yeah. the transformation, like, put this blazer on and go and talk to him. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, that's that's one of the other interesting things about Dennis, I think, in this episode is that he's quite weak-minded. Perhaps the fact that he, he flips so quickly is more predictable, Dennis. But the fact that he's influenced by everybody around him, I think it's quite unlike him in the, some of the later episodes. And the fact that he's letting Frank, or he allows Frank to manipulate him and brainwash him, basically. I think Frank normally succeeds in doing that with Charlie and Mac, but it's rare that he does it to Dennis. Yeah, that is all rooted in in Dennis's vanity, so it's still yeah, yeah. credible, isn't it? Um, but yeah, he's brilliant. Um, I need to look up who he is, the gigolo. I've, I have written it down. He's someone D Donato, but I can't read my writing on the first one, so <laughs> I need to look it up. The Gang Gets Whack, part one. Uh, full cast and crew. Cast. I'm looking there as well. Matt Sedina, Kadina, Kadinia. Ah, right, okay. It's Matt Kadinia. Yeah. And he, yeah. I'll, I'll put it here, I can, I can tell you. So he's been Power, you know, the series. Ah, okay. Power. Yeah, been, I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of people raving about it. Same, same. I've got a lot of friends that like, love it. <laughs> what else? There's a lot of st- uh, Desperate Housewives he was in. All right, Ruthless as well. Days of Our Lives, he was in uh, quite a few episodes of that. He was in all of them, but oh, was he in all of them? I don't know. That 70s show. Yeah, he's been in quite a lot of stuff, to be fair. Yeah, well, he does like, such a great job here. Yeah, it's what he doesn't say, I think, that's as good. Like, I mean, just yeah. his little mannerisms when he goes back to washing the dishes are brilliant. Just the casting of him is just so, so great. He is big and tall and handsome, and you could see him being a gigolo. Frank even stiffs him on $20, <laughs> probably gives him a $5, and he just takes it and puts his hair net on and goes back to doing the dishes. I have him in Spanish as well. Punta, something punta. Yeah. I can't remember Put- what punta is, but I know it's Put- Puta. It's whore, isn't it? Puta. Yeah. I think isn't that what Beckham said to to the linesman in Real Madrid in one of his early games? Oh, is it? a big trouble because it's a word he'd learnt from his. But yeah, he's um, he's so good. He's yeah. so so good. 
And then, of course, the, the key scene at the end, you've got um, Charlie falling in love with a horse. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about, we would say at the start about them being, being in environments where they can thrive and, and environments that they can bounce off. And that's like an episode, uh, sorry, an environment where Charlie definitely thrives. And him like, like picking up the horse poo off the floor and just immediately bonding um, with the jockey as well and them to just having a connection and then I'm just casually mentioning about he kicked the last stable boy's brains in and he has to eat his food through a straw <laughs> yeah and what's great about that is neither of them are listening to each other they've, <laughs> both, they've both just found someone else Charlie doesn't listen to her other than will you pick up the poo that's all he's <laughs> that's all he hears and then the fact that he can get rid of the oxycontin is great but the and then neither of them are listening to each other. It's absolutely brilliant. I think the guy is he's got his buster, isn't he? The, the, yeah. Uh, the jockey. I think he's really good as well. Robert Towers. Yeah, you can see him uh, being in a lot of stuff over the years. I mean, born in 1936. Fair play to you, Robert oh, Towers. Good lad. So he'd, he's been in a lot, you would imagine, over the years. I'm, I'm looking at the films, but I'm not seeing anything. Uh, he was in Bewitched, which was a great, uh, you won't remember yeah. it. Benjamin Button. Ah, well, there you go. But again, does a great job. Really kind of, because um, he's got to be a comedy jockey here and he's got to play off, um, he's got to play off Charlie and he has a couple of scenes, but another another great job by Mr. Yeah. Robert Towers. So yeah, Charlie basically becomes obsessed with the horse um, and has a, has some weird conversations in the jockey's room. And then they all get gather outside and something that, <laughs> it's a tiny knit, so i I'll come to it now, but it's kind of essential here. When they get back out to the car park, we know why it is because it has to set up the second episode. But they all turn on Mac. <laughs> for, some re- for some reason, for some reason, Charlie goes on about how bossy he is, and he's being a bit bossy with D. But he hasn't done anything he doesn't normally do, and all of a sudden they just all turn on him. So, and it's only just to set up the fact that he will turn up at the end of the episode at the gangsters' place club. Yeah. Um, in the golf cart. That's the only reason that scene is there. Yeah, well, they needed to they needed to alienate him, didn't they? So he, he could he could sort of veer off into engaging with the gangsters. So yeah, it is strange. It just happen all like dramatically quickly, doesn't it? And there's yeah. some great lines there as well at that point. I mean, I don't know if yeah. you're in the notes, but <laughs> yeah, well, we've yeah, that's kind kind of what happens uh, in the episode. Just, just to say that um, in terms of the gangsters, they're great actors as well, especially. Yeah. Um, John Marinara, who's the um, who's the lead gangster, he's just really, really good, and you could see him being in the the, the Godfather or Goodfellas or yeah. or yeah. The Sopranos. Yeah, great job, great job, sir. So yeah, so in terms of lines, I haven't got these among my favourites, but there's two in that that first scene when once they've got the drugs in the first scene at the bar. There's two again key lines. Where Charlie says, "We're saying we're going to do all the drugs and fix all the lights," um, <laughs> <laughs> but. And it's funny because they all ridicule him, but that's what happens. <laughs> that's actually what happens in the yeah, across yeah. the two things. And Dennis's version of this is that. So he says, "So you, we're going to use society's unsolvable drug problem to fix our solvable light problem," which is essentially <laughs> the same thing that Charlie said, and no one ridicules him. Yeah. So lines that didn't make it for me. I've got uh, when the gangsters turn up, and as you say, Max says. We're six deep and they go on about like we don't understand you. All the gangsters in unison go, shut up. (laughs) What have I got here? Actually, no, that's one of my favourites. When the jockey first turns up 
and stands next to him when he's talking to the horse. He says, holy shit, man, you can talk. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is a great line. But I have amongst my three favourites that you can choose from or disregard. um, Obviously, um, you've got Charlie saying, then it hit me. I was a centaur in a past life. (laughs) <laughs> and he says it twice because he says it to Buster. And then when he goes and interrupts Dennis on yeah. his date, he says it to Dennis as well. So that's a great line. And then Mac replying to the gangsters when they first turn up, suddenly realises, suddenly realising, getting into the lingo says, and good day to use, <laughs> which, <laughs> which made me laugh. But what made me laugh, my favourite line from from this episode was when D talks about Charlie um, talking to Bingo trying to use euphemisms and he said he said to me he wanted many many thousands of green people from ancient times <laughs> you, see, um, you can see charlie mouthing along with the last <laughs> part <of> the <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's charlie's um version of the phrase dead presidents so yeah. do you want to pick one of those or do you have another line uh, i'll give you my honorable mentions i'm big fans of those um uh, my honorable mentions are I've mentioned two of them, um, but then <laughs> and we mentioned this part where Charlie goes his separate ways. I, I think it's Dee that says, oh, there's a racetrack next door. And Charlie goes, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like to yeah. say, oh, I'm going to go check that out. Or, oh, that's really interesting to me. <laughs> or, I'll see you guys later. It's like, bye-bye. <laughs> and then I, I like the line where they're in with the jockeys and he goes, and Buster says, you know what they say? Nobody parties like a jockey. <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's like so nonsensical that it's quite funny the other one i had before they leave bingos is when he's talking about nose clams all the time <laughs> he goes on and on about nose clams the kind of nose clams that make you want to dance the night away <laughs> <laughs> and then i had um the line from uh, d where the the cutting mac off and leaving him and he says you're supposed to walk like the rest of the americans do on their own two feet <laughs> but like, yeah. Mac bouncing off her when you know when she's shouting at him. I think Mac helps make that scene. So they all sort of yell something individually at him, and he's sort of exasperated by it all. But yeah, I thought that was a really good. One. Out of your three lines, what was the what was the second one? Sorry, that you mentioned. The second one was when Mac says replies to the gangsters and says, "And good day to you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that one. I definitely go with that one. It's just nice to see Mac bonding with them. Yes, and that's the moment when he realises he realises he could do something with this. So yeah, we'll come to the nits and any ickiness and who won uh, at the end of the at the end of the second episode. I think yeah. um, we won't we won't do separate for that. But so we're we're set up for for episode two now, and all the battle lines are totally drawn because Mac has joined the gangsters, so yeah. which he's uh, absolutely delighted with. Got Charlie and D ramping it up, trying to sell the cocaine. And then you've got the absolutely fantastic setup of Dennis being a whore and um, Frank being his pimp. And the way that ratchets up through the scenes in yeah. this episode is just superb. In the second episode, it's the the first appearance of Cricket after his first... I've probably worded this in a terrible way, but it's the first time you see him at the start of, of his descent into mayhem, yeah. his descent into squalor. And it's really interesting to see him at that point in his life because he's still partially recognisable as Matthew Marr, the priest. 
but then you can see elements of rickety cricket and obviously like <laughs> the way they evolve and we've discussed this at length in like previous episodes but the way they evolve him and the character he becomes and remains for quite a long time I mean, that's with us for quite a long time and i'm glad that it is that's as i say that's the first time we see him since uh d and turns his back on turns her back on him yeah i i'd written one of my notes here appearance of cricket stage two of the descent so yeah exactly <laughs> exactly the same thought and i think again you know because you're thinking this is the gang versus um the mob essentially yeah before i went back to watch it didn't realize that cricket but this is cricket's episode this is everything that's hilarious and the solution to everything <laughs> d and charlie's solution to their problem the solution to the whole episode comes through cricket but Jesus Christ, it's so good. This is peak, peak, maybe not peak cricket, but I think this is peak David Hornsby. Mm. David Hornsby is so good in this episode and allows cricket to be the kind of spine of this episode. It, it's just superb. But, uh, yeah, no writing credit for Glenn Howerton this time, strangely, although he had won the first one. It's Matt Shackman directing again and Roselle and Marder as the writers doing a superb job here. Just think one thing to f- call out in the very first scene. So it's Charlie and Dee trying to, and she's trying to say, don't get high in the supply. And she talks about him huffing glue. And he, she says to him, and did you huff any glue today? And his face, the face he pulls. <laughs> when he's, he doesn't even say no. He just pull, pulls his weird face and it's so good. Yeah. I think just going back to what you're saying about David Hornsby as well and his, his role in this episode. What's interesting about it is he essentially plays two characters because you see cricket change within this episode and at the start he's still trying to hold it together he's still playing he's still recognizable as matthew murray yeah. visually with what he's wearing he's still got the priest's outfit on it's a bit tattered and torn and he's still coming to terms with the change in his life whereas by the end when he's absolutely riddled with coke he's sort of embraced <laughs> cricket and it, that's it that's the that's the last we see of matthew mara really as we knew him and for David Hornsby to be able to do that, you know, to make a character transition over the course of a single episode, I think it's really good. It's funny, isn't it? It's one of those, again, where the first time you watch it, it is gobsmacking because we all know now what cricket becomes. It's not so shocking, the descent. So maybe, you know, maybe that's why you can think about other things. So like like I say, how just how great David Hornsby is yeah. uh, in this. The uh, The other two characters that we get here that we didn't get in the first one as well as cricket are of course Sal, who's the mob boss played yeah. by John Cortese. And he's, he's excellent. He's such a great uh, cast for a mob boss. And of course his wife as well. So he was really good at the end. And as I say, so much happens just in this episode. So you've got Frank with Dennis and bringing out the cliches from films about um, pimps and, uh, and their, and their horse and their relationship. And then you've got Charlie and D and then you've got cricket, on side with them and then you've still got the mob stuff as well you've got uh, mac being ridiculed by the mob there's just so much and and that's before you even get to the denouement to the to the final scene so it's incredible the amount of stuff that goes on here frank's evolution as a pimp's brilliant like even again like even visually you can see him adding different accessories you know <laughs> subtly at first like he'll sort of acquire a hat and he'll just start dressing more like a pimp <laughs> And he obviously acquires a, a chalice as, as well. Yeah, yeah. Really play on, as you say, like verbally in some of the scenes, they're going through all the sort of cliches of a pimp and his relationship with with his prostitute. But then, like, just for him to have a chalice with the name Frank on it, <laughs> I know, and he's eating cereal out of it. 
<laughs> which, which I think, if, if, you know, when we worked on Rugby League World Cup and you used to have your Coca Pops, I think that if we all got given chalices, that's what we would have done. You'd add your Coca Pops out of the chalice. Your volume would be an issue, though. Like if the chalice was <laughs> small, then I would have yeah. I'd, I'd, Well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably drink something out of it, but, you know, vo- volume's important to me. You can have volume as well. In terms of like chronologically, before we get to the scenes that I've picked as the best ones, you've got the first scene, which kind of we all knew was coming, but the way they do it is really good. And it's Mac, his first scene as being the mobster's bitch. He's got his own tracksuit, and the guy says, Do they make that in men's? <laughs> Mac doesn't get it. He looks at the label. <laughs> and then they have a nice little throwaway at the end where the, the young guy says, He does have gorgeous hands there. Uh, <laughs> and again that's just a, a sunny throwaway you know there's no need yeah. for that line at all and of course that's that is also where uh, matt gets christened as pussy hands and he, he tries to go through all the big cats you know <laughs> jaguar hands you know panther hands uh, yeah. really really well done i like the um i mean you know we're going to talk about scenes but i really like the preamble to that scene where you just get the the mobsters having banter between themselves at the table while they're playing cards i think that adds so much to it yeah, yeah. So so kind of Sopranos as well. And then we get Charlie and Dee in Center City, which is the, the business district of Philadelphia, I presume. The key thing to that is that it's the start of stage two. Of the, it's not even, it's the end of stage one when he first appears, cricket. Because as you say, he's, he's still Matthew Mara and he's still, you know, he's, he hasn't lost all his teeth. His hair's combed all right. It's just, it's just his jacket's a bit tatted. He has hope of rebounding at that point. He hasn't embraced yeah. that lifestyle. He, he sees it as a yeah. transition period for him yeah <laughs> and the and the key line that comes is i almost got stabbed by a couple of drug addicts and that makes charlie and d really really interested so they're not listening they're not they're not bothered about his predicament so up to that they're just kind of taking the piss out of him um, yeah. and then bang they're in with <laughs> with cricket yeah really good and then we get the the pimp cup scene and then um uh, and then that really great scene where cricket arrives at uh, d's flat yeah, you know, one of my three lines is actually picked out from from that scene, so I'll, I'll save it. And then the three scenes that I've got, well, obviously, an, an, a key scene, but so well done is when Frank and Dennis and Frank is is telling him he's his main guy. And he's yeah. making him look in the mirror and saying, "Don't make me hurt you, baby," and all that. <laughs> Great, so good because it's just is a load of cliches from pimps that we've known through film history, mm-hmm. but it is essential to to the whole thing because it's again it's dennis's vanity that's the key to it yeah but frank does push it doesn't he? because at the start he's sort of pushing this vision of oh you don't have to sleep with them you know they're just rich women that you get to go to dinner with and, and go on holiday with <laughs> but then i think it's that same scene where he sees the advert printed in the newspaper and he says oh we're skipping the dinners now we're going straight to banging and he says don't worry <laughs> still have the rules and then the point of the advert literally says no rules <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sensational. And then we've got the scenes to pick from are that that scene, and then the other two I've got are Cricket's musical, which is the next scene. So Cricket playing his his kettle drums on the street, and then the final scene. Um, but sandwiched in between those two is when Dennis and Mac are both at the um, at Sal's house, and uh, you've got that classic scene where Dennis is getting smacked by Mac and by uh, Frank at the same time. Uh, which is very well done. I just love how um, Frank's just sat in the room as well, like reading a newspaper. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, and she calls him Pussy Hands as well. That's that's great. But yeah, Cricket's musical. It's stage two on its own. Just that because he's he's got no trousers. He's he's got his he's got his bins, and and that's what they've done to him. It was never going to last. Putting him in the way of drugs and being on the street, and this yeah. is and this is where we get to. He's written a musical. It's because they get so greedy, isn't it? Because initially, with cricket, they give him the plan works. They give him the drugs to sell, and he sells yeah. the drugs. And then he turns up at obviously Charlie secretly tells him that he can stay at D's in D's apartment if he sells the drugs. And then he literally yeah. like throws them a big like a brick of cash. And it's yeah. worked. You know, the plans work. They've got yeah. what they want, but then they just get really, really greedy and think, well, actually, let's send him out again. And then yeah, yeah. that's. That's what does push him over the edge. And obviously what happened the first time doesn't happen the second time. And that, yeah, they discover him stood behind some bins. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and, and he's written a musical. Yeah. Even then there's still hope because they ask him, oh, did he sell the drugs? And he says, yeah. And think, oh, great, he's going to have the cash. He's like, yeah, but I bought these with the cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these sweet, or as he calls them, uh, spoiler alert on one of the lines, but yeah, these sweet-ass kettle drums. <laughs> Bin, yeah, just bits. Oh, but the bins sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so good. David Hornsby, man. Um, and then the final scene after Dennis is getting smacked around. Uh, again, so much at play. You've got the descent of Charlie and Dee to where we knew it would get so bad that they'd be trying to huff up uh, coke that's mixed in with a big bag of flour. And they're, they're that desperate. For some reason, everyone's got a gun. So, yeah, <laughs> you have the standoff. The fact that <laughs> Charlie and Dee, with their guns and trying to look hard and they're desperate, got flour all over the faces. And Charlie's got his jockey pants on as well. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And then all of a sudden, what we don't know at first is that Cricket's in there with them. And that solves the problem because they blame it all on him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and okay. yeah, hips and nips, hips and nips. <laughs> Charlie and um, D, they're considering running away, aren't they? And then also, there's, there's the Charlie manages to acquire a horse. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's no, that's that the one from. Oh, yeah, that's the one from. It's the one from the stables, isn't it? Yeah, it's Peter Peter Ninkenpub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, he, and what's interesting about that scene is that he isn't tied up. He's just sort of stood freely in the alley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But as soon as Charlie smacks him, he's off. <laughs> they don't always bother with it because as we learn later it's just frank's money that kind of gets them out of everything but this yeah. time they decided we're pre that as we discussed before we're pre that for kind of frank so there had to be a, a way of tying it up dennis sells the pimp cup and they have the money and it's uh, and it all gets sorted out but the, the trouble with the wife gets blamed on um cricket and then you've got a tiny bit which they don't often do but there's a little bit in the middle of the credits where it's uh, cricket playing the drums and he says, they took my knees, but they didn't take my dignity. <laughs> you see the horse past as well. Yeah, and the horse goes past, yeah. It's great. So um, lines that didn't make it, uh, when they're trying to persuade uh, Cricket, and uh, Dee says to him, I guess I didn't see you up there in your homeless ivory tower. I have that written down. It's one of my favourite lines. That was brilliant. <laughs> um, and then Frank's key line to... Um, to Dennis, because it is such like a movie cliche, he says, I don't want you to think you're not my only one, baby, when they're looking in the mirror. I love I love that. And, and yeah, and I mentioned it just now, Cricket saying, I spent the money on these sweet-ass kettle drums. 
Those alliance didn't make it. Yeah, they didn't make it. And when Mac is talking to uh, Don Sal in the bathroom, and he says, I try to be eager and work with a smile. That made me laugh as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the three lines that I picked out were um, when Mac is talking about the tracksuit and how much he loves it, he says, you guys got the right idea with these. They got the perfect mix of comfort and wind resistance. <laughs> uh, oh yeah one that also didn't make it on my list was um when charlie lets the horse go he says i love you peter nick and poop which is uh, uh which is meme worthy i think the second favorite line for me is cricket he says it has to be sexier otherwise you don't eat tonight <laughs> but my favorite one again it's just a throwaway is when charlie and d are so delighted in d's flat with the money Cricket's doing all this stuff in the background, getting used to it, and he gets the cheese out and he says, she likes Swiss. I knew it. I pictured Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> and, that just, and I think that would, be a, would have been a David Hornsby. Uh, he made it up on the spot, I reckon. But that was my favourite line in the whole show. Yeah. A couple of lines I had, I think we've probably mentioned them. No more dinners. We're going straight to banging now. <laughs> <laughs> and then where the questioning Frank about his chalice is, just his justification of it is every pimp has a chalice. No, that's all there is to it. And then <laughs> when Charlie says, it's pretty horrible, he says, I'm pretty sure the jockeys are raping that horse. They're raping the shit out of it. <laughs> Charlie doesn't really matter in this episode. He's, he's living in a really weird world here. He's diving in and out with what he's doing with D, but what he thinks is going on in his head of what jockeys are, it's like very strange. Um, line as well that was in the first episode that I, f I forgot to mention but I, I do definitely want to mention it and it's where um where charlie interrupts dennis when he's having the date D dennis accuses him of having cheese breath and he says oh it's not cheese it's horse shit <laughs> and then <laughs> goes, oh, whether it's cheese or whether it's horse shit and charlie goes no let's call it what it is it's horse shit <laughs> uh, so much to unpack i think my favorite one is the peter nincompoop line I love you, Peter Nincompoop. Yeah, just a great name for us. Yes. Which brings us on to our knits. And funnily enough, I have a knit about that. Because oh. when the horse is first introduced, uh, Buster introduced, he calls the horse she. So yeah. He says, she's a beauty, ain't she? And uh, Charlie said, yeah, she really is. But Peter Nincompoop is a boy. Yeah, I um, had a know. So they've uh, they got that wrong. And then yeah, I have another tiny knit. In that very last scene where um, they pull guns on each other, Sal gets the one of the mobsters to count the money. And he goes, he says, count the money. And the mobster goes, you got it, boss. Like it's a, like a school play. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a terrible line. It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. And then he says, it's all there, boss. It's like so unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, terrible for some reason in a show where every single word just jumps off the page. It's just a, a weird, weird couple of lines. Did you have any nits? Yeah, right at the start. And it's not a big one. It's just like, because obviously the whole premise at the start, the whole issue they're trying to solve is the lights being, they need to fix the lights. And then when Charlie and Dee first sell the cocaine to Bingo and they come back with the money, Frank just announces, oh, the lights have been fixed. And there's yeah. no explanation. <laughs> how Because obviously they were really, really, really struggling to fix the lights, but then Charlie and Dee come back with the money and the lights are fixed. And there's not like any <laughs> done. It's just like, oh, we're done with that bit now. We're moving on to the rest of the episode. Yeah. And as we've discussed before, if it doesn't move the plot along, they're not usually that bothered. That did stand out to me as well. 
uh, so what they they could have done was just not mention it at all. I don't think we'd have been bothered. No, Actually, mentioning it is like worse than the lights being fixed. <laughs> there could have been a callback at the end end of the episode where they were back in the bar and the lights did, still didn't work. That'd have been quite funny. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I don't have any ickiness. Do you have anything that was icky for you? Yeah, it's you know an episode. The, the part of the storylines about a male prostitute. It's quite surprising, <laughs> but no, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, we we don't actually see anything, or they don't talk about that side. It's literally just about Dennis and and Frank and their their relationship to it. So it's quite well done. Mm-hmm. So who won the two episodes? I think it's Frank because did well. Apart from the fact that he clearly now, as you say, had to spend the money to um, to fix the lights. So was yeah. he the winner? They're all winners because they didn't get killed. Sold his chalice as well without him knowing. Yeah, so maybe he wasn't the winner. I don't know. I think obviously the the, the biggest loser is Matthew Mara slash Rickety Cricket because it is it's the beginning of his demise. But I suppose for the the rest of the gang and for the the mobsters as well, it's for the for the gang. Sorry, it's a lucky escape and that everything's sort of tied up in the nick of time, like every good sitcom episode. And then the mobsters get with their one as well. And it feels like everybody sort of enjoys the experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does work out well. Mac doesn't get what he wants because he doesn't become a mobster. Dee and Charlie don't get the, what they want. Dennis is sub- subjected to being a you know male prostitute who presumably had sex with a lot of old women. <laughs> yeah, there is. Oh, actually, there is one ickiness that doesn't need to be there. It's when they're looking through to his next um, conquest, and it's that woman that they focus on her teeth. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe nobody win. Maybe the mobsters win. Yeah, they get that what they wanted and didn't have to suffer in any way for it. Yeah, it's strange how they're quite relieved. They said oh, that was a close one, and they said, "Oh, it's, it was good doing business with you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose if you're a mobster, that's the kind of thing that happens. You have to yeah. do things like that. You're always yeah. dealing with idiots like those. Yeah. Did you have any other notes on that on this episode? No, I think we've I think we've covered it to be honest. Um, yeah, just as I said, the, the defining part of this episode to me, and it isn't obviously featured in the main storyline, but it's just you know as we've covered off already the start of Rickety Cricket's demise, and you know he becomes like a major favorite of me throughout the season so i think that's brilliant it can't, really can't be overstated how this is the start of his demise and that is so important to the whole show but what he does ends up doing in this episode is so important to the whole episode and he's just the first time you see it when he's suddenly on the street with his sweet ass kettle drums and and he's just oh god he's just so good when he's in the bar gotta be sexy you know <laughs> is this their um, is this their first attempt at a two-parter um it might be yeah i think it is yeah yeah because it's only series uh, season three isn't it yeah but yeah. um in back in the luxury days of um of season three what was it six 13 and 14 12 and 13 13 yeah back in 2007 when you could have 15 episodes in a series yeah 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 the glory days <laughs> yeah. well they're still filmed in, filmed in philadelphia back in season three as well uh yeah i think so yeah a lot of the, I mean, the scenes, the scene outside when the gangsters are sitting outside their haunt, uh, their bar, their club, whatever it is, that's in Philadelphia. I recognise the skyline in the background. So, yeah, yeah. I think it is. God knows where the country club is. <laughs> um, so uh, all that remains is for us to choose our next episode. Let's do it. Let's go to Agent Jack Bauer and bop him on the nose. 
Um, one, two, 14, 14 seasons? 13? No, 14 seasons, yeah. 14, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one to 14, how many generates am I doing on that? Uh, two. To pick, our, to pick our season. Season nine. Season nine, cool. We've got 10 episodes in season nine. So one to 10, how many bops on the nose is he getting for being a naughty cat? <laughs> Just the one. Just one. So it's episode seven, season nine. Season nine, episode seven, the gang gets quarantined. Ah, okay. Look at that. You see, very, yeah. um, very prescient. Right. Yeah. See what we can see. What they did with it. <laughs> no, I will say this is not one of my favorite episodes. This one. It's funny. You get quite a few sitcoms. They do this thing where they try and. I think it's partly they try to test themselves as a writer, so they, you know, get very claustrophobic with it and see if they can kind of write their way out of it. There's a great yeah. episode of Porridge where they are, it's just set the two of them in the cell for the night. And it, I think it's called something like going out for the night or whatever, but it's obviously the opposite. It's just that, and you think going into it, oh, this isn't going to work and it's great. So maybe on a second or third watch, it'll, so we've got to, this will be our ninth show. It's probably the, the one where both of us are least enthusiastic about it. Yeah. So I, think, it come up. I think it's important that we don't, talk about every episode as it as it as it being the best episode ever which is quite <laughs> so far but that's because we're big fans of the show and we do genuinely enjoy the episodes so yeah i feel like we've been giving every every episode five stars so far so it might be quite refreshing to have well, it's still i'm sure it'd be very entertaining just looking at it now and hearing it then i thought oh that's not one of my favorite ones so but yeah we'll yeah. see how it goes in the next viewing we will see how it goes i think that is it say goodbye there it's a good night from me Goodbye from me.